All right. Well, again, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Fellowship of Faith. Glad you could be here. And what we've been doing all this school year is looking at this basic fundamental question of why. And what we've been doing this December is looking at some of the whys of Christmas. Why do we do this stuff at Christmas that we do? And what we're going to be looking at today is one of the most basic why questions about Christmas, but I think a, a, a question that often gets overlooked because it seems like a no-brainer. And here is the question that is framing today. Why was Jesus born? Why was he born? It seems a little bit obvious. But what I'm going to invite you to do is just go with me a little bit, especially to look at how the early church looked at this question and start to unpack a little bit, because for them, the why of Jesus being born was so much more important than the when. Now, last week, we talked about how the early church picked this date of December 25th to celebrate Jesus' birthday. And we talked how what they did is they more or less like absconded or hijacked this pagan Roman holiday called Sol Invictus, which means Festival of the Unconquered Sun. The idea was this. They got about as close to the winter solstice as they could. The day when daylight was the shortest and nighttime was the longest. The day when it seemed like the sun was being beaten back methodically day after day after day, until daylight and the sun became its shortest and its weakest. And on that day, the Romans would celebrate this day called Sol Invictus, the day that even though the sun was beaten back, the sun would not be defeated because from every day henceforth, the light would get greater, the day would get longer, the temperature would get warmer, and they would celebrate Sol Invictus with things like feasting in the home and charity to the poor and gift-giving to one another, and even with the decoration of trees that, that so many of these traditions that we attach to Christmas Day began with this Roman pagan holiday called Sol Invictus. And when Christianity became something legitimized in the Roman Empire, when it became something of substance in the culture of its day. Those early Christians chose to pick that day, Sol Invictus, and to give it another name, Christmas, which just means Christ's Day. Or maybe even better put, the King's Day, Christ meaning King, and Mass meaning Day that no longer is this soul invictus, the sun god's day. This is now Christ's day. And they did it to show the kind of kingdom that Christ brought. They did it to show the kind of king that Christ was. Not just a king, not just some king, but the king to which every knee would bow, to which every tongue would confess, to which all the powers of darkness in this world would crumble beneath, that on the darkest day they said, this is Christ's day. And they proclaimed it Christ's day, Christ Mass, to celebrate the day that Jesus was born, to celebrate the day 
that the king came into this world to start taking his kingdom under his control. But what's fascinating to me is not only what they did with that day, but why they picked that day, because they could have picked any Roman holiday. If Christ is the king who trumps every holiday, why not some other Roman pagan holiday? Why December 25th? For those early Christians, it was more of a question of why than when. Now, why December 25th? Why that pagan holiday? Well, there was obviously themes that were kind of just served up on a silver platter for them. It's the shortest day of the year. It's all about darkness and light. And of course, with Jesus coming into the world, you think of these words by John where he says, the light shines in the darkness, referring to Jesus, and the darkness has not overcome it. I think of Ambrose, who was one of these these Christian leaders and teachers and pastors of the time who was teaching people about the supremacy of Christ, who even said this. He writes that uh, Christ is the true son who outshone the fallen gods of the old order. So there was themes that were there. But that was only part of the reason. There was another reason as well why they picked that day to celebrate Jesus' birth. And it had to do more with the why than the when. It's interesting that when you look at the Christmas narrative, or or, or better put, the narrative of Jesus' birth in the Bible. There's no dates. You can kind of find a period or an era that it happened in, but there's nothing really there to pinpoint it, to hang it on. There's nothing there to kind of key you in to go, this was probably the date. But when it came to other Christian holidays, you see dates all over the place. And the most important date for those early Christians was the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And when you read the gospel narratives around that, man, you see date dropping all over the place. Every gospel writer is careful to explain that Jesus was born in conjunction, or excuse me, that Jesus died in conjunction with the Jewish Passover. And the Jews were scrupulous because Passover was something that they wanted to keep scrupulously. It was in their law to celebrate it on a certain day so that you could go back every single year to see when Passover was celebrated and thereby connect when Jesus would have died if he died in that year. Now, I'm going to save you the math, but the early Christians were hung up on this. When did Jesus die? And the date that they came to calculate based on the year when he thought he most likely died was this, March 25th. And they came to start celebrating something else in conjunction with March 25th as well. Now, I want to show you a piece of art today. It's a fresco from an artist named Bertrand, 14th century. So 
a bit beyond the fixing of these dates, but it captures the spirit. And what you're seeing in this picture, in this, this fresco, is not the birth of Jesus, but the annunciation of Jesus. Okay, annunciation, big word. What do you do with that? The annunciation of Jesus is this. Annunciation is Latin. It just means announcement. So what you're seeing here is a depiction of the announcement of Jesus. Okay, what does that mean? Well, if you remember the Christmas story, you remember that before Jesus was born, there was a sequence of events that took place. And here's how Luke puts it. He says that in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel, the angel Gabriel came to this little town, this backwater village called Nazareth, which was located in the upper northern region of Israel called Galilee. And that this angel named Gabriel, who was big time stuff in the Old Testament, he got all the good jobs, all right? That this angel, Gabriel, came to this virgin who was pledged, you know, fianced, to this man named Joseph, who happened to be a descendant of David, that ancient king of old, and that this virgin's name was Mary. Now it says the angel came to her and says, and I've got to say it how Bibles translate it first, greetings you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Okay, I wasn't there. But something tells me that the way I kind of hear this in my mind is not the way it probably happened. Something tells me that when Gabriel showed up, it wasn't a, greetings you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. You know, it's odd. An angel shows up before you and goes, greetings. How does that translate today? It's like an angel shows up, Gabriel shows up, and he's like, hey, How you doing? <laughs> you, you know, what do you do with that? And one of the most like understated or, or simplified passages of the Bible, it says, now Mary was greatly disturbed at this greeting and wondered what kind of greeting it might be. Hey, I bet she was disturbed, right? What do I do with this? An angel shows up, this, this, this beaming ball of light shows up that sends me to my face and it's like, hey. But he comes to her. Greetings. Hey, how you doing? The Lord is with you. Oh my gosh. And she doesn't know what to do with it. And then Gabriel says this, wait a minute, Mary, Mary, wait, come on. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, Mary. Because you found favor with God. You will be with child will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. 
Okay, now at this point, speaking like a guy, I've already left the virgin thing aside, all right? I'm hung up on this whole, like, whoa, who is this guy? He's going to be great in a king, in a kingdom that'll never end? Not Mary, because fortunately, Mary's not a guy, all right? Mary is still stuck back here. Wait, 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 what are you talking about? What are you talking about? I'm going to have a child. I'm not married. I can't have a child. Are you kidding me? I've never had sex. Wait, wait. How can this be? Mary asks the angel. Because I'm a virgin. This is what Gabriel tells her. He says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So that the Holy One to be born to you will be called the Son of God. And apparently God was excited about doing this kind of stuff back then because Gabriel even goes on to say, even Elizabeth, your relative in her old age, is going to have a child. And she who is said to be barren is already in her sixth month because nothing is impossible with God. Now, this story that I just shared, this instance is what has come to be dubbed the Annunciation, the Announcement, the Announcement of what God is going to do. Now take a look at this picture again. Because what you're seeing here is not a picture meant to depict Jesus' birth, but Jesus' conception. This picture is called the Annunciation of Jesus. What you see here is that episode that I just shared when Gabriel announced to Mary what was going to happen. Now what those early Christians came to believe or came to do might be a better way of saying it is that at that moment, they said, at that moment when Gabriel announced the message, Mary conceived. Now did it actually happen then? I, I don't know. But they picked the date. They picked that moment to say that was the moment when Mary conceived. Now take a look at the picture. What do you see? On the left-hand side, you have this giant hand, right? Who do you think that is? God. And what you see is God sending this child, this baby. It's probably not a leap at this point for us to figure out who that baby is, right? Jesus, following on the wings of the Spirit who goes ahead of Jesus to Mary. What you're seeing is God sending his son, sending himself to Mary on the heels of the Spirit to effect a miraculous conception. But more notably, what is the child carrying? A cross. Because for those early Christians, Jesus' birth and Jesus' death were intimately connected. For those early Christians, Jesus' birth and Jesus' death were not two separate episodes 
in his life. For those early Christians, from the time Mary conceived, they believed Jesus was coming to die. For those early Christians, the crucifixion was not just some like, oh man, too bad that happened kind of thing. It wasn't some plan that had to be revealed to Jesus later on that he kind of had to somehow figure this out. You're like, okay, God, here I am. What am I supposed to do? For those early Christians, the way of the cross was not something that just happened as a reaction to a development of events. No, for those early Christians, Jesus was always sent to die so that from his birth, even from his conception, he came bearing a cross for the sins of the world. Now, if according to the way that these early Christians dated the death of Christ being on March 25th, are you with me? And according to these early Christians, if Jesus from the get-go, from the time he became a single cell, came to die, for them it became a logical extension to say that not only did Jesus die on March 25th, but on March 25th, he was conceived as well. Now, for those of you here who have kids... I don't know if you were early or late, but if you were predictable and got pregnant on March 25th, on which day would your baby be born? December 25th. Christmas Day, as we call it. Not because they thought it was the day Jesus was born, but to communicate something deeper. That when Jesus was born, Jesus was born to die. Let me show you how some of these early authors put it. This one early writer says this, Therefore, our Lord was conceived on the 8th of the calends of April in the month of March, which is just a very confusing way of saying March 25th which is the day of the passion of the Lord and of his conception. For on that day he was conceived, on the same day he suffered. Later on, there's this this church leader, his name is Augustine, and Augustine rocks, you should read Augustine. He writes this, For he, Jesus, is believed to have been conceived on the 25th of March, upon which day also he suffered. So the womb of the virgin in which he was conceived now corresponds to the new grave in which he was buried. But he was born according to the tradition upon December 25th because Jesus came to die. Or this other one. The lamb was shut up in the spotless womb of the holy virgin. He who took away and takes away in perpetual sacrifice the sins of the world. See, for those early Christians, it wasn't so much a question of when. It was a question of why. They knew if you asked them, who knows what day Jesus was conceived on, really? 
But for them, the holidays were meant to do something else instead. Rather than mark with specificity a historic moment, they were meant to communicate something deeper instead, something that every time we celebrate, they would remember. That from the moment Jesus was a thought in his mother's womb, he was on a mission. A mission to die. And for them, this was inextricable from the person of who Jesus is. For them, this was far more important than getting the right date. Because for them, this meant everything. That every time we come across Jesus, every time we celebrate him, every time we fix our eyes on him, call out to him, or, or, or worship him, we are rooted in remembering what is central to what he came to do. That this virgin who gave birth to a son named Jesus, which means Yahweh saves, came to save his people from their sins. Guys, it doesn't matter. Whether you celebrate Christmas on December 25th or January 6th or December 30th, because that's the only time your family can get together, or May 20th or April 22nd, like some other ancient believers once thought he did, why beats when? It's why you do it. And whether or not your why is rooted in what he came to do to begin with. I don't know what darkness you live in this winter solstice. And I don't really know how the light has been being extinguished in your own soul and in your own life, how the sun is being beaten back. But I know this. He came to save you from it. I know this, no matter how dark, no matter how far, no matter how distorted things have become within you, a Savior has been born. His name is Jesus, to save you from your sins. This, this is why Jesus was born. So as we've been doing this Advent season is, is a way of practicing that ancient practice of examining ourselves preparing for Christ's return. Getting right and making things right with him. What I'm going to invite you to do these next few moments is come face to face with your sin. What is your sin today? What is it? Some of you, when I ask that question, you know it right there. 
It's right there. It's vivid. You know it. You hate it or you love it. But you hate that you love it. But you know what I mean. And giving that sin to Jesus today becomes an easy thing because you know it so well. But for others of you, I ask that question, what is your sin? And you can't put your finger on it. You know something's off, but you can't quite articulate it. And you don't really know what to do with it as a result except to say that something's just not right within. Now I want to invite you to give that to God today as well. So the band's going to come forward. Guys, you can come on up. And as they do, I just want to invite you to rise. invite you to give yourself some space. For me, bowing my head and closing my eyes goes a long way, but you do what you need to do to come to God and give him your sin today. Let's pray. If you'd like, just pray this along with me. I confess to God Almighty, before all of heaven and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have sinned in thought, word, and deed by my fault, by my own fault, by my own most grievous fault. God Almighty, have mercy on me. Forgive me all my sins. Bring me from death to life. Let me quote the angels again. I bring you good news of great joy for all people. In the city of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. the one born of that virgin, the one born of Mary, the one named Jesus saves you from your sin. Take hold of that. <laughs>